Welcome to the Black on Black Education Podcast, where we interview the most brilliant minds and connected hearts to discuss our shared passion for the transformation, the revolution, reimagining, and recreation of education in the Black community. My name is Eva Loren Jean Charles, founder of Black on Black Education and New York City High School teacher. And I'm Jamal Thomas, her partner and dad, education enthusiast. And we're, and we're your, your host. host. Please don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, to enjoy the episode. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Black on Black Education podcast. Our first question, as always, who is our guest? What do you do and why do you do it? Hi there. Well, first, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity for inviting me to speak. It's a pleasure to join the both of you. So I'm Dr. Siobhan Flowers. I'm a licensed mental health therapist in private practice. I'm also an adjunct instructor at New York University in their applied psychology department, where I teach online in their master's in counseling program. And I'm also the founder of Balanced Black Educator. So this is where I serve as an educator wellness coach and strategist. And so in this capacity, I help Black educators to basically unapologetically prioritize their wellness. And I help them through this process really by providing some practical tools and stress management and wellness support. So um, the reason why I, I do this really is because I often, I recall and I reflect on my own ongoing experience as an educator and especially just how things were for me, especially in the beginning. And I really wanna be able to be that support for those teachers in terms of almost the support that I wish I had back when I was first starting out. And so now that I have lots more experience and with my background in education, I really am wanting to provide this platform for black educators in particular to feel more supported. Absolutely. Yeah. Why don't you paint a picture for us um, of, of what a of what a balanced black educator looks like, you know, like and and maybe even illustrate, you know, somebody who was clearly not balanced and they worked with you and then they they uh, they, they wound up becoming one. Yeah. So I think that's a really good question. And it kind of goes back to when I was first kind of developing this brand, you know, what to call it. And, and so I spoke with, you know, so many educators in terms of you know, what do you feel is that missing piece? You know, what is it that you're wanting to experience most? And the number one thing that they came back and said was they want more balance. And so I think balance is almost like the word happiness. It's very relative and it means different things for different people. But really, I think for me, it has to do with the lens in which you see yourself and the work that you're doing. So I think awareness is a really big part of it um, in terms of what it means to be a balanced Black educator. And so I think um, also kind of honoring the multiple identities that make you who you are. So yes, you're Black. Yes, you're an educator. But beyond that, you know, what else are you? How else do you identify? And so, you know, what other roles do you occupy? I think it's important to reflect on those things and make sure that you're providing the appropriate spaces and outlets to tap into that, those other aspects of your life as well. So I think that really makes up someone who is balanced in terms of being able to see themselves as a whole, you know, imperfect being and to have realistic expectations of themselves. And so kind of the opposite, you know, of that in terms of someone not being balanced, you know, the unnecessary stress of unrealistic expectations, maybe perfectionism, maybe them feeling responsible for things that are outside of their control. And so I think having a, the awareness piece that I was referring to earlier is super important because 
in terms of your ability to be able to reflect and answer those questions uh, for yourself is really what allows you to evolve into a more balanced being. And I also think that uh, self-compassion is a key component. Um, you know, being an educator already is hard enough in and of itself, but being a Black educator, especially within the institution of education as it currently exists, is that much more uh, challenging. And so you have to be, um, you have to work that much harder. And so I think, um, you know, within the context of dealing with whether it's systemic racism, institutionalized oppression, the microaggressions, the implicit, sometimes even direct bias that exists, it's really crucial to have an understanding of who you are, how you want to show up and let, you know, your narrative define, define success versus someone else's or a system. A hundred percent. And I'm thinking about the intersection between mental health and wellness and education, right? And so that's where you sit. And I think a lot of people fail to look at why that intersection is so integral to the advancement of our education system. If we're thinking about um, educators in a space where we there are too few of us, our class sizes are too large, um, and we have a worldwide pandemic that has had students not actually in the classroom, um, learning and engaging with their teachers on a regular basis. So we're in a situation right now where that intersection is integral to the advancement of education, period, uh, regardless of demographic, but specifically in communities of color. So why is it so important to address that for students as well as for educators? Yeah, so I think it's important, you know, first to even talk about kind of what is that intersection as you've described it. It's really, it's it has to do with our thoughts and our feelings, how they either positively or negatively um, affect our growth and development. So um, to what extent does our mental health kind of, you know, impact our ability to learn, to grow, to acquire knowledge, to uh, take in information and become independent critical thinkers. And so there's a direct link and association between the two. And I believe that um, this intersection also represents the way in which mental health and wellness is viewed across all um, education levels. So whether it's early childhood all the way up to the college graduate you know, level, I think it's really about the focus and the emphasis on the mental and emotional, emotional wellness for both the whole student as well as the whole teacher. And so that's kind of what that is in terms of how I define it. The reason why I think it's important is because you have to, again, acknowledge the connection between how your mental and emotional well-being even affects you know, academics in terms of how you show up. And so I think there's lots to be said in terms of the importance. And as you said, whether it's, you know, quote unquote, you know, a lot of people like to think we're post-COVID, but I think we're very much still in this pandemic. And there's discussions of um, online virtual learning. And I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm in Texas and there's just this huge push for in-person learning, which is bound to affect the mental and emotional learners in terms of feeling safe. You know, the teachers relatively feel unsafe. And so this is, this was actually the topic of my um, doctoral, doctoral dissertation in terms of just the provision of mental health services in schools. And so we talked about the impact on the student, the impact on the educator. And I think you know, it's important to recognize that this intersection does exist because it directly impacts healthy relationships and healthy relationships are the cornerstone for any kind of academic um, achievement. And so it fosters feelings of respect and again, goes back to safety. And so I think for all of those reasons, it's really 
an important uh, part of the conversation that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's beyond important. It's, it's foundational, and and sometimes mm -hmm. it doesn't get you know looked at as such. Uh, you know, people throw around the buzzwords of social emotional learning, and and obviously that's that's so key. But if you can't start foundationally with the fact that if a kid is coming to school not feeling safe because of something that's going on at home, or they're coming to school hungry, they can't even get to the 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 part where their mind is open to, to learning things, particularly if it's stuff that they can't see any uh, direct line to what's going on in their life. So if it's not responsive to, to you know, to their, their foundation and how they, you know, function, then they're just not going to, uh, it's just not going to take to it, you know, and, and unless you have those incredible teachers who really do know how to go about the business of, 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 of turning on a particular child and, and you know, Far too often, um, somebody will do that, but with the rest of the way that we <laughs> operate, being in shambles, it it, it uh, you know it, it just leaves way too many kids on the outside kind of looking in. Um, and so, can you talk to us about like functional wellness? Like, you know, what 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 exactly um, does a does a student have to have to do, or, or should we be doing from from a um, pedagogy perspective to make sure that kids who, who may not be walking into our school feeling safe, that they still have an opportunity to, 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 to be as well, I guess, as they can within mm -hmm. a school setting. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, I absolutely agree. The social emotional piece is a fundamental foundational piece that's directly tied, that's directly tied to academic achievement. And so as much as we place value in terms of resources, time and money, you know, on academics, we need to be pouring just as much, if not more so, into the mental health and wellness and so of our students and teachers. So in terms of functional wellness, it's really what I like to call kind of that real life wellness in terms of um, the mental health as far as the stressors that impact us on a daily basis. What are the obstacles and barriers that keep us from showing up as our best selves? So it's about prioritizing kind of your mental and emotional wellness within the context of our current reality. There's kind of the the ideal wellness, which I think is kind of, you know, romanticized kind of by society, but then there's the everyday, like practically, like what can we do? And so I think fundamentally kind of getting back to the basics in terms of, you know, whether it's proper sleep, quality sleep, proper nutrition, you know, um, getting back to those things that will allow us to be able to show up in an optimal way in terms of just kind of the, the realities of our day-to-day -day life. And so I think, as you said, it's just one of those fundamental things it's what allows us to be present and to be able to show up. And I think it's so important because, you know, kids are very receptive and they can pick up on the teachers that are stressed out or that maybe just don't want to be there. And so it really kind of ties into us taking care of ourselves so that we can be the best possible versions of ourselves for our students. Absolutely. And when you think about the ways that we're recognizing um, great educators operate in a classroom, it's building relationships. How do you build relationship with students when you're not functionally well and when they're not functionally well? Um, similarly, it's being able to come down to a student's level and change the power dynamic in the classroom. Well, how do you do that if 
you are mentally in a place where you still feel like you need to have control. You need to be like, there is so much within us that gives us the reasoning behind some of the behaviors that we exhibit in the classroom. So I think that what you're saying is so important. And I hope people are really like tapping into that um, because it's not just like, oh, I can have this if I do this. Like it's, I need this in order to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and so talk a little bit about your time as an educator. Like let's run, like roll it all the way back. Because I think that that set you up to where your career is heading in terms of supporting educators. Cause we know that there's a gap there. Um, so talk a little bit about what, like just talk a little bit about that um, for, for a minute. Sure. Yeah. So all the way back, like you said, rolling back to 2007 is when I first started out in the field of education. I taught a seventh grade English language arts in, um, it was an urban school district. It was students coming from um, just low socioeconomic status in a title one uh, school. And so just reflecting back some of the, the hardest parts of that experience really have to do with kind of the lack of resources and how I saw it affect the students. So, you know, I can remember in one of my larger classes, not even having enough desks for all of my students. I actually had to have a student sit way in the back of the class, you know, at my desk using my chair because the, the class sizes physically just weren't enough to accommodate the number of students that I had. And so in turn, not only did we not have enough uh, physical space, but the students had to share um, textbooks as well. And so just thinking about how that fundamentally impacts the students learning when they don't even have, you know, all of the proper materials they need to be able to show up 100%. And so, you know, beyond just the academic piece, I think more of the social, emotional stuff, you know, things that really kind of saddened me, but, you know, I would find students, you know, I would eat my lunch, throw my lunch in the trash, you know, whatever was left over. I have caught students going in my trash, trying to get pieces of food that maybe were scraps because maybe they weren't hungry then, but they were thinking about the lack of resources that they had, you know, once they were out of school and at home. So just things like that really have stuck with me. And, you know, it caused me to really want to be able to reach students on a different level, kind of just beyond academics. And, you know, students, they will always tell you the truth. Um, and so the way that I would interact with them and kind of build those relationships, they would always tell me, you know, Miss Flowers, you know, it was Miss Flowers back then, it wasn't Dr. Flowers. They would say, Miss Flowers, you should be a counselor. And and again, I just, I picked up on that in terms of just how the students were relating to me in the classroom. And so I knew that I wanted to make that change to transition to a school counselor, just so that I could reach them on a more social, emotional level in terms of what I was able to do just, you know, as a classroom teacher. So um, that kind of started out my transition, you know, into being a school counselor, which kind of, again, just one thing kind of evolved from the other. But that foundational piece in terms of, you know, being that classroom teacher, you know, I'm still a teacher now, but of course at higher ed, which is significantly different than it is in the K through 12 um, environment. But that's always kind of the lens in terms of the resources that I prepare, the things that I talk about, you know, how I best want to best be of support for teachers. It's really from my own experiences, you know, and that just is like the tip of the iceberg in terms of, you know, kind of covering just the reality of what I faced during that time. Wow, it's, it, it's, 
the fact that you faced it coming up, the fact that there are people, you know, from a student's perspective, still facing it today. There's so many schools that don't even have any, you know, school counselor. Um, well, maybe they have a guidance counselor, but no actual counselor. So, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about the differences there, because I know sometimes people get confused on that. Um, but how is it that that you know we we've come to a point in time where there's people with, with clear need? You know, like there's 100% students need to, to to have these counselors in the school, but we've reached a point where so many people um, do not ha have it. And is there anything about your teaching um, that can help teachers to better kind of take on that role when there's not somebody dedicated to doing so in the building? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's a good point. You know, I, I, on some level, you have to think, you know, there must not be money, but I think this the hard reality is, you know, that there is money available. It's just about, it's not being prioritized, I think in the ways that are most beneficial for students. And so I think it kind of even ties back in terms of values, you know, whether it's how society, you know, values teachers and students or, you know, how we value education. And I think one of the clearest definitions of, you know, values in terms of alignment, it's where do you spend your time? You know, how do you spend your money? And so when you think about it, even whether it's like a state or federal level, you can kind of see where you know we kind of prioritize education and students, especially again, whether it's urban districts, we're not necessarily talking about you know fully funded private schools, but where the majority of students, especially students of color, where they receive their education, that's just one of those difficult realities. And so I think it automatically forces teachers to have to, you know, um, take on multiple roles. You know, they're not just a teacher, there's so many other things, which I think is really the catalyst that leads to stress and ultimately burnout. And so I think kind of goes back to what I said in the beginning, kind of that awareness piece is super important because you have to have realistic expectations of yourself, you know, being one person operating in a broken system. It could be very tired and exhausting if you are not constantly assessing and reminding yourself that, Yes, you know, you want to be able to make a difference, but you also want to be able to honor yourself and acknowledging, again, all of those other identities that you have. And so being able to do what you can and but also gracefully accepting your own limitations, not from a place of like a deficit, but you have to avoid getting caught up in things like compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma. So you do have to have boundaries and limits in terms of, you know, how enmeshed you can become in your student's life. And it's really a matter of like self-preservation and sustainability. And so those are the things that I talk to a lot of teachers about in terms of obviously, again, you care about this profession, but you need to be able to care about yourself in terms of your own health, you know, just mm -hmm. as much, if not more, to continue to be there for your students. I, I mean, that's powerful, right? I, I had um, a student shot this year, one of my students. Um, and when you were talking about seeing students go in the trash and get food, that's true. Like th there's a certain level of trauma um, that, that's a, that, that comes up when you work with students that are so disadvantaged um, from, a, from a resources perspective, not from a brilliance perspective, not from an academic or intellectual perspective, but are disadvantaged from, from an access to resources perspective. It's really, really, really difficult um, to understand, to know 
what your students are going through and be and having to shut that out. And so I think that's an important part to connect back to why your profession is so integral and why schools need to invest in the wellness of their teachers. Uh, because how is it that I'm expected to handle um, extraordinarily traumatic situations or just have extraordinary empathy and sympathy for the lack of access that some of our students have. And then we have to go a step further and think about the teaching profession is not a uh, job for who someone who wants to be wealthy. And so how many educators are dealing with financial stress, food insecurity, these sorts of things just like their students because they are not seen and heard and cared for in the classroom. So just like kind of just bring that around before we begin to kind of talk a little bit more about some practical stuff. Try to just encapsulate for folks in like couple of sentences. Like this is what this means to the entirety of the education system and its ability to do anything effective. Yeah. So you're referring to kind of that just the importance of, again, just taking care of yourself from that wellness perspective. And, and being able to, to disconnect in some way from the trauma that you're experiencing vicariously through your students. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's essential because again, a lot of teachers, you know, they go through their education programs, which are not counseling programs, yet they encounter these environments where they are exposed to pretty traumatic experiences. I know you mentioned, you know, being on a campus where a student, a student was shot, you know, and killed. And so I think this unfortunately has become almost a part of the job, a part of the job that educators never signed up for, were never adequately prepared to deal with. And I think it kind of goes back to Jamal's earlier question, which I'll address along with this, but just the fact that there are thousands and thousands of school campuses that do not have adequate representation in terms of a school counselor, someone dedicated kind of in that social emotional support role to be able to help educators face, you know, crises and things that happen on their campuses. And so, you know, I think it's ironic, the number of schools that don't have this type of, you know, counselor presence, but yet they'll have a very robust, you know, security presence, or they'll have a police officer stationed, you know, on campus or like a school resource officer. And so I think that's also, again, we have to look about, you know, think about funding and resources and how money is being spent and where it's going. Mm -hmm. um, but again, like you said, it's there's an obvious gap and a void that exists there. And I think, unfortunately, for a lot of the campuses that do have school counselors, are the task, I can just speak from my own personal experience. Yes, we were required to address the social and emotional needs of students, but also, you know, the adults in the building as well. But we were also assigned so many non-counseling duties that it became mm. overwhelming. So mm. school counselors, our primary responsibilities, especially you know, as it relates to students, really fall under three categories. It's the social, emotional support piece, and that can include responsive services, things like addressing homelessness or crises that come up. There's also mm -hmm. the college and career readiness piece of it. Um, and then there's also kind of the academic advisement piece. So, you know, ideally the role and the function that we're, you know, the way that we're showing up in schools should ideally fall under one of those three categories. But due to lack of resources, I think the school counselor unfortunately also receives kind of the catch-all. It's the other duties, you know, as assigned piece in the job description that really bogs them down to the point where they cannot show up 
in the way that they were originally uh -huh. intended. So now they are, instead of really sitting down and maybe having a, a group counseling session with, with students, now they're the testing coordinator for the entire campus. Or now they have to help the assistant principal build the master schedule. Or now, you know, they're in charge of every single, you know, schedule change that a student wants. And so there's these kind of glorified, you know, administrative types of tasks that most school counselors did not go to school to perform, but that's the reality of their situation. And so there's the yep. public perception that counselors may or may not be, you know, doing their job, but they don't understand the reality of what they're faced with and including large caseloads. At my highest, I was in charge of over 500 students. And, I, you know, you talk about being overwhelmed in terms of, you know, me wanting to get to know and reach out to each student individually. But again, it goes back to the boundaries, the limitations on one person. Yeah. How much quality can I actually provide, you know, 500 yeah. students mm -hmm. in terms of that emotional, social, emotional support when I'm also tasked with all of these other responsibilities? That, I mean, that's extraordinarily important to bring into the conversation. Those need to be different departments. College and career readiness is not the same as social emotional needs and dealing with homelessness and other things that are happening with the student. That's a social worker. Like you have to have these different, that was three job descriptions all in what you're expecting one person to do right. while also saying that you can't afford said person but can afford metal detectors and school resource officers that often escalate issues rather than then de-escalate. So I really think that that was an integral part of this conversation. And I just want to quickly preface that the student who was shot, thankfully, was not killed okay. um, and is and is recovering. So I just wanted to make sure that that was that was prefaced. Sure. And I think I probably even just without even thinking added the word killed because unfortunately that has been my experience. I remember my very first year as a school counselor, we had five deaths in one school year. Um, Three were students, but two were actually teachers. One was an accidental kind of random accident, but the other one was intentional. They took their own life. And so there was just so many layers in terms of just the level of stress that we you know, collectively experienced you know, in that one year. And of course we had some outside kind of district support as well, but just the residual effects in terms of the emotional toll that it took, I think you know, it would be very naive to think that on some level it would not affect their academics, you know, achievement of the students, but as well as, you know, the educator's ability to be able to show up in a way that was conducive to their learning because it's so much trauma to experience in such a short amount of time. And oftentimes, again, we're kind of putting these band-aids on these situations and we're not really, due to lack of maybe time or resources, we're not able to fully address kind of the core root of things that are happening. And I and in this particular example that I shared, um, one of the students that was shot and killed was shot by another student in the same building. So it kind of, people took sides and it was just a lot, it was just yeah. so much going on in that one school year. And so these are the realities that happen, you know, I mean, and so I don't know if, you know, teachers fully feel prepared to kind of face these realities, especially if they're maybe a first or second year teacher, and they really, you know, don't really know what to expect. And this is, I think, why, you know, retention is such a big factor as far as educators, especially educators that look like us in terms of retaining quality, you know, Black teachers because of the level of stress that they gain just from being exposed to these things, but also the stress in terms of, you know, how they're treated 
by their colleagues, which is you know a whole nother conversation. Absolutely, I mean, seemingly, so seemingly no one knows, and and I shouldn't say no one, but, but I, I was in corporate America for you know eighteen, twenty, almost twenty years, and I've never you know experienced anything, you know what I mean, even even close to that. So for the people who I was around that that you know some of which talk about teachers summers off and, and make it out like this is some type of you know profession that 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 people somehow do so that they can get a couple months off like they they, they just need to to you know take a deep breath and and understand that they, there are things that are going on T teachers are the closest to what's going on in the in in various different neighborhoods um around the country where you know people you go in your office building and you and you hear nothing about it you feel nothing about it and and you're and you're not affected by that 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 various different trauma that you guys are you you sharing it so i mean i i, I salute to you know to to, to both of you I, I i only sharing it because eva comes home and tells me everything every day so i sharing it that way but but i'm not in the building you know what i mean and and, and, and i know that, that it's it's hugely different so you know just yeah. big salute and shout to the both of you guys for um yeah it's it's i can't yeah. fathom and I think even in the most ideal circumstances, there's still that burnout and fatigue associated with, as Eva mentioned earlier, the financial stress, you know, whether it's being underpaid, but I think a larger issue is not being paid at all. There are so many hours of unpaid labor when you think about the preparation that teachers have to make. Um, you know, I remember having to, obviously, I was almost like a given, you would put up your own money to be able to buy your student school supplies and you wouldn't even think to ask to be reimbursed. And so, you know, there's just a lot of time, resources, you know, money that teachers put into preparing their classrooms. And there's just so much that goes into it. I always used to think growing up as a child that the breaks were for the students, but I realized the breaks were really for the adults in the building. And they really truly weren't breaks in the traditional sense, like real vacations. It was just enough to recover and reset so that you can kind of get back in there and do it all over again. So it's it's just a matter of like catching up, but never really feeling like you're ahead of that curve. I have never heard that before. I've never heard anybody say, say, say that. And it makes so much sense. Um, yeah, even more reason for you guys to be 12. Um, and so like just moving into one of our last questions, we want to think about for folks, what are those action steps? We're going into another school year. We're going into a school year where I guarantee you they're going to ask you to work outside of class. I guarantee you they're going to tell you it's for the kids. I guarantee you they're going to remind you that this is your job. It's in the description. You got to do this, 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 <clears throat> and this. Oh, wait, hold on. I hear these other things too. Um, and so what do you want educators to to keep top of mind as they walk into the school year and boundaries to set from the start so that hopefully they can get through the year with with um, some ownership over their time and their energy? And, and just like you're saying, be be a balanced black educator. Yeah. So keyword, as you said, you know, boundaries are key and it's not just how you set boundaries. It's also when you set boundaries and also the reinforcement of those boundaries. So you have to, whenever you set boundaries, you almost always have to at least initially expect pushback or a negative reaction. There's gonna be some resistance there because traditionally, and in this case, we're talking about the educational system has traditionally benefited from teachers' lack of boundaries. It goes back to what we just talked about. There's almost kind of this unwritten expectation that you're automatically going to be contributing unpaid 
labor, whether it's time or even emotional labor to your craft and not be compensated for it. So I think if you go in and set the expectation from the very beginning in terms of this is okay with me, you know, this is not okay. And also to not falsely equate you setting boundaries as somehow you don't care because one does not equate to the other. You can be a caring and kind educator and still say no at the end of the day. And so it really goes back to, again, your own narrative of how you define success. And it's so important to not compare yourself to the teacher down the hall that may stay late or come in early. I mean, there's no extra prize or reward for that. I think it's really only the cons in terms of you wearing yourself out, you spreading yourself too thin, and it's going to eventually backfire. And so you have to be able to show up in a way that is sustainable for the entire school year where you don't begin to kind of have that resentment build up over time. And that is a warning sign when you start to maybe not care as much when the resentment starts building in, when you start, you know, comparing yourself to other people or jobs outside of the education field, you know, these are all things that you're trying to avoid by actively setting boundaries in the beginning. And so again, you have to anticipate that initial kind of resistance, that negative pushback. And then you also have to anticipate that people naturally are going to test those boundaries, which can be upsetting, I think, if you're not prepared for it. So if you can anticipate it from the beginning and kind of dig your heels in and teach people that this is your new standard, and especially for teachers that are maybe returning to places where they have previously worked, people may not know that you have kind of gone through this change or this metamorphosis. And so they may think that the old status quo is going to still apply. So in this case, I think it makes it a little bit more challenging to set boundaries because you're also, it's the extra step of them having to unlearn what they can expect from you and replacing Mm -hmm. that with, Mm -hmm. this is how I'm choosing to show up now. So that's just one, you know, major kind of mindset shift that you can have in terms of, you know, going into the campus, knowing what to expect when you set boundaries and it doesn't make you a bad person, does not make you selfish. I always tell educators, you know, when you choose to increase your level of self-care, it's not from a selfish place. It's not like a me first type of mindset. It really has to be me too. And that essentially means you get to place yourself at the same priority level as all of the other important things in your life. You don't want to exclude yourself in that process. So it really has to be, if you made a list of all of the people that you loved and cared for, I hope that you also think to put yourself on that list. And most people that I do that exercise with, they don't even think about including themselves in Uh. that. But it's a personal responsibility. You know, if you don't advocate for yourself, no one else is because no one else is really going to benefit by you setting those boundaries. So it so if you're if you're waiting for the system to change or for your campus culture to change, you'll be, you know, waiting forever and so you do have to take matters into your own hands. Is it fair? No, it's not fair, but you do what you have to do to be able to take care of yourself so that again it kind of goes back to so that you can be your best possible the best possible version of yourself for your students. I love it. I love it. The the only thing that was popping up in my head is, you know, as 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 the non you know educator in in the conversation is, you know, can you can you say something to the parents and the other stakeholders, um, and how, what can we do to to be of more support? What can we do, um, to add to to teachers having um that more balanced uh, sense of of health and well being? Okay, question. 
Yeah. That's a good question. (laughs) I think, um, you know, it starts with, again, kind of this natural assumption that we make, you know, if people need help, you know, they'll ask. So I think something to really change about that way of thinking is to not wait until you're asked, but as a parent, as someone outside of the education system, you need to automatically assume that educators are not okay. You need to automatically assume that they need help and operate from that lens. And so it may be hard for you to kind of, if you've never been in the education field before, you know, as a teacher or in another role, it may be hard to think about what they may need, but you taking the initiative to ask, like, how can I best support you? I think that's an excellent first step. Um, Because again, you're going in with the assumption, you're not asking them if they need help, you're asking them how can I help you? And so I think just even that simple shift is a really good place to start. And I know there's lots of oppor- like outlets and opportunities to be able to contribute, but it's important to not just do those things in the beginning of the year, but at periodic checkpoints throughout the year when the initial supplies run out or middle of the semester when the nerves are especially tedious. You know, they always joke uh-huh. about how right before a break, you know, there's all the, you know, the full moon will come out and all of these problems will come up. And so right before major holidays, check in with the, your students, your, your child's campus to see, you know, what they can, what you can do to help them. And so um, I think oftentimes it's just not feeling like their voice is heard, um, feeling like everything is, is reactionary in terms of they're constantly having to adjust and respond to decisions that are made that directly affect them, that they've had no input or, you know, not feeling valued in terms of being able to contribute to these types of conversations that ultimately directly affect them. So I think, again, the way that you approach them is a very good first step, but also, you know, just allowing them the opportunity to feel heard. I will never forget um, I had a parent um, who sent me an email over the break and don't ask me why I had first, why I checked my email over break, why I had my email on my phone. I was just (laughs) about to say, what is going on here? This is not balanced. This was my first year, even as a school counselor. And so I definitely made changes to that really quickly, but I was already on edge. And honestly, this email was just from a parent to say, happy holidays. I appreciate everything you do. And, and it made me sad that this was like the farthest thing that I was expecting from a parent but this happened probably 10 years ago now. And I still remember it very vividly because it was so far from the norm in terms of what we're used to. So if you really want to stand out as a parent and get on your teacher or school counselor's good (laughs) side, send them something from a place of gratitude and appreciation, something that they're really not expecting. Um, and, And it's just something really small and simple, free, but it really made a big difference. Yeah, I'm 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 so grateful for that. I'm just going to say quickly to that. I, I, so I am on the, my local school board and, and I'm part of the community engagement committee and I, that whole thing, I might have to send them a, a whole clip, you know, of, of video so that, so that the people, you know, that, that are engaging in the community can um, take those, take heed to those words. I think that is super, super important. And I'm going to encourage these uh, happy holiday messages to, uh, to, to, to teachers. Um, and maybe just maybe, you know, because of COVID and things to that effect, where there has been more electronic, you know, interaction between teachers and, and, and parents, you know, perhaps that will, have normalized a little bit, you know, th- those type of connections um, with, uh, you know, with, with, with teaching, so. It's um, so important. I mean, yeah. a lot of times it, it may sound like it's this huge complicated answer, 
but it's really not. It's just getting back to that basic kind of human connection. Yeah, I, I love it. And so speaking of connection, how can people find you? Because for the last 38 minutes, you have just been dropping gems, facts, periods. And I hope that educators are really taking this seriously, walking into the next school year. Folks are noticing that like podcast after podcast, we're talking about mental health and wellness and taking care of yourself and soul care and all of those things. So it's like podcast after podcast at the beginning of the year. Please take care of yourself. Yeah. It is not worth burning out. Um, yeah. And so please let people know where they can connect with you so they can continue to get those tips and then they can ultimately eventually uh, possibly be able to work with you. Sure. Well, thank you for that. So you can follow me on Instagram at Balanced Black Educator. I also have a free stress and burnout prevention guide that you can download. So the link is in the bio um, on the IG account, or you can go directly to my website, balancedblackeducator.com slash guide, and you can download that. And it just gives you some things to kind of keep at the top of your mind, very similar to the type of conversation we've had. Um, it even includes a printable that you can print out and kind of paste somewhere, either screenshot on your device or put somewhere where it's visible to kind of keep those things at the top of your mind. So that's available for free that you can download. Um, but you're right, just the whole idea of taking care of yourself, it should not be considered a, a luxury or something that you do you know, after work. It's It needs to be an integral part of your life. It's a necessity and it's it's gone to the point now, particularly now, where it needs to be a requirement and you've got to start looking at taking care of yourself through that lens. Mm, so good. So, so, so good. That it is. That it is. Mm. So um, last but not least, what we uh, always do at the end of our interviews is we give our guests an opportunity to ask us any questions that they might have. And so yeah. if you have any questions, now's the okay. time. Sure. Well, first, I love, love, love your platform and the outlet that you're providing, you know, Black educators and just the conversation around Black education in particular. So I am curious in terms of any kind of future projects or initiatives that you're currently working on. And, you know, given kind of my background and experience, you know, I just want to continue to be of service. And so, you know, I'd like to know if there's any way that I can help you um, both in terms of your mission and kind of furthering this message. Oof, I love that question. I think it like tees up so perfectly what we are working on right now. So our first teacher action board meeting was last um, last week. Was it last week now? Wow, time is like flying. Or a week before last, August 2nd, uh, we met with 20 educators across the country and growing um, to think about how we can all engage with one another in a way that allows us to feel fulfilled after that meeting. Uh, but then it gives us the energy that we need to get through the rest of the month. And so it's a month to month. Um, donation-based membership, and we hope that folks tap into it because the folks who were there had a really, really great time. And I think that the more people that we have, the more areas of expertise. And so we would love to have you on and get all of our teacher action board members in line in terms of their mm -hmm. teacher self-care, get them, get have them have yeah. their plans ready and everything. So we would love to connect in that way because that is, that's our biggest initiative right now. And we're running it through the rest of the school year. And so um, the goal is just to keep to keep doing the work and giving ourselves uh, enough energy and, and excitement to get through um, on a on a month to month basis. Okay, I love and, that. Uh, yeah, 
No, I was just going to say having you on is is has definitely been a part of the you know of, of the helping process because we we, we you know we're placing a heavy focus and emphasis um, on what it's like to go back to school, create the new normal, and part of that new normal is teachers taking care of themselves, um, helping students to best understand how to take care of themselves and because you are out there doing a phenomenal job at that you are most certainly helping uh, with, with absolutely uh, with, with absolutely excellent yes. well, I, am. I appreciate the opportunity i think this is always an important discussion to have and one that always kind of needs to be put out there even if it's just a reminder in terms of where educators focus needs to be because i think it's so easy to again put ourselves on the back burner because Again, part of you know what we what's been indoctrinated in terms of like this whole students first, but it can be on the same level. You can also prioritize yourself just as high as you prioritize your students, and you should. No better place to leave us. Thank you so 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 much, Dr. Flowers. Check Thank you. her out. You will not <laughs> not regret it. Have a fantastic rest of your day, y'all, and thank you for listening. Thank you so much, guys. Bye bye. all the what it what what is the minute when do you have it yeah so we 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 did a series of and um and we're revisiting whether to do it again but but uh meek mills um had had said one time like you know i got a whole lot of people that got with money and there's a whole lot of abandoned buildings in the neighborhood you know like let's create some super, super schools and so we were like okay well what would that look like um and we first invited on you know eight educators or so. Um, I don't want to say the names just because I don't want to miss anybody. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, we had a, a, some dope folks on who, who came and we started to unpack what that would look like. Um, and then we did it as a series with with probably five or six other folks, like single people to, to really paint the picture. Um, and Dr. Inman came on and, and um, you know, he, he, his kids running around in the background and he, he you know, he, he just in a, in a, in a, in his regular life, you know what I mean? Hanging out on a, on a, on a Thursday evening, um, was able to, 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 to jump on. And, and we had a bunch of folks on Zoom with him, um, and just drop bars and, and knowledge. And, um, I, you know, it, it's, it's, I can't wait to read Ratchedemics actually. Um, <laughs> I ordered it too already. I ordered it last week. And so I'm supposed to get some kind of poster or something else in the mail because I did it through Beacon Publishing or whatnot. So I'm really excited because when I saw the title for white people that uh, teach in the hood, I was like, wait a minute, somebody put this on the book. I got whatever <laughs> is this bold. And the work was amazing. So I love reality pedagogy and the cogens and all of that. Like that work is just it's so necessary. So I, I'm glad that you all had the opportunity to engage with him and other amazing scholars. That's really cool. Big facts, big facts. Yeah, we, the, the, we do a, a virtual conference. Um, and so next time, please, we, we, we need to make sure that you are there as well. Yeah, I was going to ask, when is your next, what do y'all have coming up next? We are, uh, we're, 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 we're not quite ready to announce, but we're, you know, okay. we're, we're not exactly when the, when the, when the next one is going to be. Um, okay. But we will absolutely positively, uh, you know, let, let you know. Um, in the meantime, how about you let people know, um, because I'm sure there's going to be people who listen to this and say, you know what, I need her in our school. Um, how do people get in touch with you? You know, and yeah, let, let, let them know. Uh, so two things. Um, I do do the work of strategically helping schools to plan how they want to implement um, social emotional learning, culturally responsive teaching, restorative justice. 
um, as a school-wide idea and, and, and concept and framework for how you do schools. Um, so I am available at Dr. Mel B. So that's D-R-M-E-L-B, D-R-M-E-L-B, Dr. Mel B at scholarsforthesoul.com. Um, and you can email me there. I'm also Scholars for the Soul. So it's the number four on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can DM me there as well. Um, and then me and another wonderful sister who I think may be talking with y'all soon because I had a meeting with her yesterday. Um, Kaylin Lamar, we're creating or not creating. We're getting ready to push out our event which is called the Soul Plus Self-Care Intensive for Educators. And it's about empowering our the souls of our educators to reach the souls of our youth. And so that event will go live August 8th and 9th. And I'm really excited about it because it was something that I've, I've been listening to so many of the educators need. It's like they need something to keep the fire going because I hear you. We need to talk about it and bring light. But how are we caring for ourselves as we're dealing with the trauma of educating and being sometimes marginalized and silenced in the workplace? Like, how are we dealing with that? And so I, I created this event and asked Caitlin to come in and help me co-create and facilitate it. So we're talking about soul care. We're doing deep breathing work. We're doing affirmation work. We're doing... Um, a little bit of stretching, like chair yoga, um, those type of things to just get the body involved and bring movement to the practice. And then we've got actual sessions where we are talking about everything from how do we do the soul work? How do we, Kaylin's a beast when it comes to the boundaries and setting boundaries and recognizing when we need to do that work. But then we're also talking about self-excavation, how to walk in self-love, how to combat that self-doubt and that idea of release and embrace and how to work with that duality or that binary in the work that you do, all the way to adult SEL and building trust in student relationships. So how do we use trust generators to help build the trust in our classrooms so that we can do the work and the content that we know we need to do as well. So if you use code, code early bird until Friday the 30th, I don't know when this will air, but until that time it's $24.99. But then after that, um, it's not expensive, it's $39.99, or you can go VIP and that gives you unlimited access. And it also allows you to get a free t-shirt. The t-shirt's over there, but it'll say soul plus self-care. So I'm excited, I'm excited. Oh, well, I'm going to be there. So, yes, Eva's in the building, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, you left us on exactly what we needed to. The work must continue. The work has to continue. And it is there and available for you for folks who don't recognize that. So.